backroom politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday from New York, the Big Apple. She is the former legal counsel to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign in Ohio. She is the one we know as Sharmila Chari Esquire. Sharmila, how are you? I'm great. Great to be here, Justin. Good to have you. And joining us from Northern Virginia, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who at last count served under four presidents. He is longtime Senate staff for longtime Washington insider. He is the man we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, good afternoon. Let's try this again. Alan, good afternoon. <laughs> good, good afternoon. There we go. Hey, uh, we've got a lot to get to. It has been a busy couple of weeks here. It's been a busy week in Washington since we were last on the air. Uh, we're going to start off with the, uh, the latest breaking news coming out of Washington. That was Jeff Sessions has yet again had to appear before an oversight committee, this time in front of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, where he was forced to explain everything from his role in Russian meddling to dealing with all kinds of issues, including Roy Moore, and we'll get to the uh, crazy judge here shortly. Let's talk about what happened today on the Hill with Jeff Sessions. A lot of a lot of things came out of that hearing today. Alan Moore, let me start with you. A very uh, tense and very, uh, I, I want to say. I guess aggressive would be the right word, but a very defensive Jeff Sessions today in the House Judiciary Committee. Did he have a reason? I, I, you, you cut out on me just when you got to the question there, Justin. Oh, did, did he have a reason to be defensive? Well, yeah, because, <laughs> because people are saying that he, his serial forgetfulness uh, stretches credibility um, uh, even for his allies and for those who are not his allies they simply say he's lying and he's he's covering up um, uh, so he's on the defensive now anytime he comes up because he's asking being asked again and again what he knew what he didn't know about contacts with the Russians He's obviously learned a lot about what other people, what conversations others were having uh, involved in the campaign with the Russians, which uh, there, there's no reason to believe he knew at the time. Uh, he's also being reminded about his own contacts again and again, um, which initially he denied and then later was realized, oh, well, yeah, I had this meeting or that meeting, but we weren't talking about the campaign. Um, so anytime he goes up there, he knows he's just going to get pounded by uh, by those revelations. Uh, and then today there were other subjects to talk about, most particularly um, uh, his request of senior uh, Justice Department officials on their view of uh, whether additional resources should be uh, uh, devoted to looking at the connections between uh, the Clinton campaign and the Russians, or possibly the Clinton Foundation Clinton campaign 
um, and, and the Russians. Um, we we can go into that. It's kind of an interesting sidebar. I have a different take than than, than some of the uh, some of the pundits out there. But Sharma, you know when we when we listen to Jeff Sessions today, and and we will go down that path, Alan Moore. Uh, but it, it, it seems to me that there's a lot of whataboutism going on, not only in the House Judiciary hearing today with Jeff Sessions, but we're hearing a lot out of the administration and out of a lot of other key uh, Republican figures. When we hear the call for a second independent counsel to do the what about Clinton uh, track, does, is there a reason that the Democrats should be nervous, or is this just uh, political rhetoric on a grand scale? Uh, I mean, I've said this before on the show, Justin, not in this scenario, but in, in other things, you know, regarding the, you know, his stirring up the football anthem controversy and, and other issues. This is another, I think, a classic example of the president trying to deny and distract from a negative story that's circling him, right? The current, the, the Russia investigation is getting worse and worse for him. The, um, you know, the Roy Moore being associated in any way with Roy Moore is not great for him. The tax plan is has a 50-50 chance of, of passing the House and Senate and actually becoming legislation. There's a lot of negative news stories surrounding his administration, and I think the classic way that he deflects is by doing things like this by saying why why isn't the justice department tweeting out why isn't the justice department investigating hillary clinton and then getting traction around the fact that now the senate judiciary committee is asking whether additional resources can be devoted to looking into the uranium one deal i i think this is political theater that we've seen many times before Joining us on the line, better late than never, he is the former Joe Biden political operative, longtime Democratic political strategist and political attorney here in Washington, D.C. He is Dan Littner Esquire. Daniel, how you doing? I am doing well. Nothing but blue skies here in Virginia. <laughs> We're going to get to that, too. Hey, hey Dan, I mean, let's talk about uh, this idea of a second uh, a second independent counsel looking at the Hillary Clinton track, looking at the Clinton Foundation, looking at the Uranium One deal, looking at Benghazi. Is there precedent for there being a second independent counsel? I mean, there's no basis for an investigation. That said, if they want to do it, if they want to do a whitewater Benghazi thing all over again, go ahead. I mean, the actual uranium deal, I think outside of the State Department, there were 10 additional federal agencies involved with okaying the deal. Um, as far as the Clinton Foundation, everything that's public that we know about it, the supermajority of the money is spent on good deeds around the world, which is well in line with what funds should be spent on for uh, for charitable organizations or nonprofits, unlike say Roy Moore's nonprofit, that something like 95% of of his uh, charitable organization, I believe it was a church, uh, all of that money went directly into his pocket, which he didn't pay taxes on. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I, as a Democrat, I would say there's no there there, and each time they do this, they waste taxpayer money on it, but. Fine. If it means 
the yes, we'll do both yeah. investigations at once. The country is very large. And we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Sorry if this throws the Clintons under the bus a little bit, but they have one more battle left in them for, for the sake of the party and to fight Donald Trump and to, to show the country that, yes, our side is, in fact, cleaner than theirs. Not that we are a stick and span, but by comparison, we're better. But, Alan Moore, it, it, it sounds like the, the, the total lockstep with the Trump White House might be wavering again uh, with Jeff Sessions. When confronted about the use of a second independent counsel or a second special counsel, Sessions uh, multiple times said that it would be ill-advised to use the Justice Department as a tool for political retaliation. He said, although he's considering it, uh, I believe the quote was, it looks like is not a reason to implement an independent counsel. Uh, is is there some sort of break in the messaging coming out of DOJ? Is DOJ and, and Sessions finally getting their independence from the influence of the Trump White House? Well, <laughs> I, I would argue that they've always had uh, uh, way more independence from the Trump White House than the, than the president himself would like. Um, that's one of his complaints uh, with the department and with, uh, with the attorney general. What I, I, I was listening to some folks this morning say, oh, my God, we're becoming a, a banana republic. We're about to start investigating um, uh, the other political party uh, for partisan reasons. Um, I, 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 I'm intrigued with, with Dan's certainty that there's nothing to investigate. Um, my hunch is there is nothing to investigate. Let's let me make that clear. I just don't have the certainty that 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 Dan either has or wishes for. Um, here's the, yeah. what I think is going on. Here's what I think is going on. That that because of the, the president's constant commentary about what the Justice Department really should be doing. Uh, in sessions wanting to be uh, as responsive as he can to his boss without um, uh, triggering mass resignations uh, in the department he runs or uh, extraordinary uh, criticism and enmity from a whole history of former Justice Department personnel. Here's what I think he's done. I think he has decided, I can't make this call. I have clear conflicts here how about this how about we ask the career professionals the senior prosecutors in this agency what do you guys think what's your recommendation i'm guessing that he knows what the recommendation will be that that but but it's never been formally requested before it'll come back in some form that they can make public they can say, we've looked at this closely, um, and now what they don't like to do is acknowledge whether or not they're doing an investigation of anything, and that's not been confirmed. They've probably spent some time looking at these various questions. The big question is whether to create another special counsel. And so uh, uh, what I'm guessing will happen is we'll take a little time, and then six weeks, two months, two and a half months, we'll get a report back that the pros have looked at it and they've concluded 
and they'll say whatever, however much they want to say, that A, there is no reason for a special counsel. Um, and then B, uh, that there's no reason to expand the internal regular DOJ uh, look at this. That's, that's my strong hunch. I can't confirm that. I just think that, that Sessions is trying to placate the boss uh, and <laughs> the, whole, the, the whole group of right-wing crazies out there who think that, that, uh, that, the, that, that it's a witch hunt against the president and that we're missing the boat in terms of not paying attention to, to, uh, uh, to Clinton and the Clinton sure. campaign. I don't happen to agree sure. with that from everything I know, but my hunch is we're, that, that this is the path that Sessions has chosen and that it will lead to no special counsel and uh, hopefully quiet things down for a while, um, and uh, and we'll come up with the 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 answer that there there is no reason, um, and uh, and here's why. Or they can say however much they want, and they can make public however much they want. That's what I think is going on. I mean, Charmola, the, the yeah, Clintons would... have been down this road. The, the, Charmola, the, the Clintons have been down this road before. I mean, they've been the subject of everything from a full-on articles of impeachment to full-on special counsel investigations into various aspects of their lives. I mean, at, at this point now, does this just seem like, oh, my God, here we go again? I mean, yes, but I, I tend to agree with Dan that if, if the Republicans want to go down this road, it seems like a waste of time. But if it's going to stop the howling, then then fine. They they're entitled to open up an avenue to see if there's any evidence to, to pursue a special prosecutor. You know, neither Bill or Hillary Clinton has been in office, you know, in any sort of elected or appointed office since 2010. You know, obviously Hillary ran for, for president and did not win, but, and now is never going, neither Clinton, unless it's Chelsea, is going to hold a, again, an elected or appointed position again in their lifetime. I am almost positive. Um, so the, so again, you know, to sort of repeat what Dan says, it seems like an exercise in futility, but this, if, if this is what it takes, then this is what it takes. And I would tend to agree with Alan as well, that I think that Jeff Sessions is straddling a really interesting line where he wants to show loyalty to his boss, but also preserve his professional credibility within the Justice Department. And I think just as but a, on, along, as a member of, but along the, those lines, of the cabinet. But along those lines, Charmla, uh, you know, I go to Dan Lipner on this one. It seems to me that Jeff Sessions isn't really doing himself any favors every time he goes in front of a congressional hearing. Uh, today, for example, it was I don't recall, I don't recall. Oh, wait a minute. You know what? Now that I saw the media examples, I do recall, and I recall specifically. Does Jeff Sessions have a credibility problem with Congress and possibly with the special counsel's office? Dan Lipner? The short answer is yes. He has a a credibility problem across the board, because each time he he gets asked whether or not He's ever met a Russian. He's, oh, my, I have never met any Russian until the records come out. And lo and behold, he's been told about Russians. He's met with Russians. You know, for 
at some point, I'm not going to be surprised if we find out he's, in fact, a Russian, and he happens to forget about that as well. I mean, it's something else keeps coming out about Sessions or the Trump administration every other day, and all the denials that were there previously simply don't hold water. I mean, Alan Moore, Jeff Sessions, the selective memory of Jeff Sessions seems to be an Achilles heel for the Trump administration. Are we just too far down this rabbit hole for the Trump administration to actually back itself out of? I mean, is this a serious, serious problem going forward for Trump and the Trump White House? (laughs) I, I, I... I would say that Jeff Sessions' challenges uh, of his own personal memory um, fit right in with this administration. Um, it's not the source of his problem with uh, with the president, uh, horrifying as that thought is. Uh, his problem is that that uh, that early on he did the right thing um, by respecting constitutional powers uh, and conflicts by simply saying that he had to recuse himself from questions relating to Russia. And some of that was because of, uh, of these, these uh, things that he, that in in my sense, at least some of this stuff, he misremembered. It would have made no sense to lie about uh, some of the stuff. He just, he just forgot. But once he'd forgotten and once it was pointed out and he acknowledged that, then he was screwed. Then he really, he really did have a conflict. So he stepped aside from the Russian stuff. Um, uh, because he he uh, because of what things he had done and then the way he talked about it and and uh, and remembered it um, and that allowed uh, uh, his deputy to decide upon the firing of of uh, FBI Director Comey and these things all kind of went together uh, to name Robert Mueller as a special counsel and it's a special counsel not an independent counsel these are different laws and the old. We don't have an independent councils anymore, even though that that's the word that often is used. It, it's a different statute, but anyway, yeah, special um, counsel. You're uh, right. Created this, it created created the the special counsel Robert Mueller, who is driving uh, the president crazy. Um, uh, who the president continues uh, to be, <laughs> to believe that that it that uh, that these are that these are phony charges. It, it, one has to wonder whether he's actually looking at the findings of 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 uh, of Mueller or other information that is coming out about contacts with Russians, including with uh, uh, with his own son in meetings, and now with uh, uh, with back and forth with with WikiLeaks. Um, uh, but. But the, the the so the president's worried about uh, the, the 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 suggestion that somehow his election was uh, was tainted uh, that it was uh, influenced uh, significantly and meaningfully um, by the Russians um, and he ignores the information that comes out and continues to to. Uh, to want to fight that battle and thrash around and say things that aren't true. And now I'm guessing that one thing that at least that, that is getting his attention, his focus is the, the potential jeopardy of, uh, of his own family members. And, uh, and that just has to make him uh, crazy. Um, and I'm sure that he's also furious that Mike Flynn, who he used to defend um, uh, was, was such a scumbag um, 
uh, in not only misleading Pence, uh, the vice president, back when, and that's what led to his firing, but that he was playing footsie with uh, with other governments, representing them, not reporting the fact, uh, apparently involved in conversations that would make him millions of dollars to do illegal things. I mean, it, 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 it's you're not hearing a lot of defense of Mike Flynn anymore um, uh, from the president, and the president. It, it's just got to make him nuts when he when he sees this because he knows that that uh, there's more there than he wants to admit, and that his own uh, family members are are coming more and more into focus. Yeah, and and Sharmila, obviously, the, the fact that it seems now the Trump administration is getting closer and closer to being on the ropes. Is is this something where the Democrats the might? In, what's that? <laughs> I said they weren't on the ropes before. Well, I mean, I mean, that's all relative. I mean, every time we think they're on the ropes, they get deeper, deeper into the corner. Uh, at some point, we've got to set a benchmark here, which is fairly low in this instance. But the reality is, is they get closer and closer to getting painted into this corner. Uh, are the are the Democrats? going to take this opportunity to show and say, hey, you know what, we're the bigger person. We are the better party. You know what, we're not going to uh, just kick this dead horse right now. Let's figure out what's good for the country and let's move forward. Is that something that is in the playbook of the Democrats? Is it possible? Or are they going to go for uh, the knockout punch on this? No, I, I think you're right, Justin, and I think you've been seeing it already. The, the more and more revelations that have come out, Democrats have been more measured in their responses, even even to Roy Moore. The Democrats have really sat back and let the Republicans take the brunt of condemning him and withdrawing their endorsements and calling for him to step down. Uh, I think what the Democrats are doing smartly is using this turmoil and instead of just pounding on Trump, because they saw that that didn't actually work for them in the 2016 election, they've used that uh, – but they've still, they're still, I think, cashing in on that sentiment to build the party at the more local uh, and municipal levels and to help support candidates running in these special elections and, you know, in the 2018 midterms, you kind of deploying that instead of going on CNN and, you know, delivering these knockout punches, I think that they're deploying this animus against Trump on a much more local level, which at this point I think is a smarter strategy. Dan Lipner, do you agree? Is is, is this something? Because I look at I look at Nancy Pelosi, you know, the daughter of a Baltimore political uh, boss out of the Italian section. I look at Chuck Schumer and his political chops. The reality is, is that something that they're going to allow happen? Is just to kind of take a step back and say, hey, you know what? For the good of the country. We're going to let this one pass. Let's just move forward. The short answer is probably not, but I'm also not in the best position to speak at the moment. So I'm just going to go with what Charmel is saying and pass for about the next five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, Dan. We love having you. That's always fine. Uh, Alan Alan Moore, I mean. I just like to. No, go ahead, Charmela. 
I was going to say, I'd just like to add that I don't even know, their motivations might not be pure as, as pure as you, you impute them, Justin. They might not be doing it for the good of the country, but they might take a step back just because they see that Trump and the rest of the GOP of his administration have enough rope to hang themselves with. They don't need to do it for them. Bingo. Yeah, I mean, Alan Moore, it does sound like the Democrats are starting to smell the blood in the water. Yeah, you were, you, first of all, you were saying, are they going to stop kicking this dead horse? And I want to say, this horse ain't dead. It ain't dead. <laughs> the question is, what do they do? And as, as Shama accurately points out, when somebody else is digging a hole deeper and deeper, letting out rope to hang themselves, stand back and watch. Even though it takes an enormous amount of self-restraint, something that that uh, that, that Democrats, or for that matter, many uh, that, that most politicians in general aren't known for, but um, you don't hear them talking about Roy Moore right now because they're enjoying watching uh, the Republicans uh, tie themselves into knots. Um, although the Republicans are doing better and better. Um, Increasingly simply saying, get him out of here. We believe them. Um, I know we'll turn, turn to that, but, but, but uh, the, the, with regard to Sessions, it was only yesterday that we learned that, that Sessions has sent this letter up there and, and basically said, I've asked uh, the, the senior prosecutors in the department to take a look at these questions because you, the committee – have been asking me and pushing me. So he needed to respond. He knew he was going to have to go up there. I thought it was a fairly smart response, and I'm, I'm anticipating a particular outcome. The Democrats will express some outrage, but it's, it's kind of hard to, be, to, 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 to go um, BS nuts um, at a question – Posed to the career senior people in in the department. So, um, it, it now when we see an answer somewhere down the road, um, that will be the time. But there was sort of this misreporting that hey, there's going to be another special counsel to look into Hillary Clinton. No, there's not. Not now. Not yet. I'm guessing not ever. But that wasn't what he asked. So, right. Um, Anyway, it, it's uh, the, the Democrats are right now, you know, they're not, they're not just laying back on all issues. The issue they're weighing in on now is the tax bill, because the tax bill is, uh, is going to be acted upon within the next week or two or three in this Congress, and they're trying to rip that to shreds, and that's the appropriate place uh, for them uh, to focus their energies at this point, um, the uh, and and with regard to the Roy Moore matter, they probably would like Roy, Roy Moore to stay on the ballot. It gives them the best chance if the Republicans yeah, can somehow figure out a way to get him out of the picture and some strategy for for uh, a different Republican uh, to be uh, to be on the ballot. Um, that's a loser for the Democrats. Yeah, around the horn, real quick. Around the horn real quick, Sharmila, does Jeff Sessions survive the year as Attorney General? I mean, it's almost Thanksgiving, so I think yes. Whether or not he survives 2018 is a different story. <laughs> Alan Moore? 
Um, he survives this year, certainly, unless he becomes the next senator from Alabama. <laughs> Back to the uh, future. Dan, Dan Lipner? The answer is, unless President Pence asks for his resignation, yes, he survives. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Judge Roy Moore and the continued problems that he poses. And we're going to also delve in a little bit into the bigger problem of the problem of sexual harassment in politics at the state, federal, and local level. This is Backroom Politics Live from the National Capital Region. Uh, We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us.
is backroom politics. And we're back here live from the National Capital Region. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We're going to change gears a little bit right now and talk about the ongoing drama surrounding Judge Roy Moore, the Republican Senate candidate from the great state of Alabama. It is uh, originally what started off as one individual uh, accusation from a 14-year-old about 40 years ago has now escalated to about five now accusations, including one who has gone on camera and gone public with the allegations against the Senate candidate from the Iron State. Uh, Judge Roy Moore, for those who do not remember, has not been without controversy before. Judge Roy Moore has been removed from the bench now twice in Alabama by the legal authorities. He has also been very controversial on several arenas, including gay rights, including equal rights uh, for women, including uh, even waving a gun, a loaded revolver at a campaign rally. Uh, Originally, a Steve Bannon pick for this seat. He, it, Steve Bannon's really done a good job about escalating this guy, but it seems like the downfall is near. Uh, let Let's start with Let's start with the latest here. I mean, because Alan Moore, we saw Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell today openly come out without caveat and said that Roy Moore should step down. At the same time, we're seeing a very defiant Roy Moore go aggressively to the media, particularly the ultra-right-wing media, i.e. Sean Hannity and that crowd, and saying that these are absolutely uh, accusations, that this is fake news, and that this is just a personal attack against him, and the personal attacks are because he's winning. At what point does the GOP stand up and say, okay, enough's enough. Uh, This ends now. This is not helping us. This is not helping us, particularly with the tax bill coming down the pike. Get out now. Is that even a possibility for Roy Moore? Well, that's basically happened at the national level. Um, The the, uh, the Senate, the, the group that he would uh, endeavor to join, um, uh, has, has by and large, I mean, in key places, starting with the majority leader, but in, including the head of the Republican Senatorial Committee, they've, they've sever- they're not giving the guy money anymore. The head of the Senatorial Committee said, if this guy is elected, we have to unseat him, um, which is pretty aggressive. Uh, Ted Cruz, who had been staying quiet, saying, I need more information, uh, associated himself uh, from Roy Moore. So what Roy Moore has tried to do when, when Mitch McConnell said, I believe the women, is basically make it a, a Roy Moore against Mitch McConnell matter, which it, to some extent it, 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 it was, uh, or it had elements of that during the, during the election. Um, uh, there's, there's just now waves of Republicans in the Senate saying no, no, and no. The missing person, not the GOP, like the RNC or anything, they're, they're not helping this guy. The, the missing gop is the president. He will be back in town, and the, and, and the real question is, 
what will he say? And, you know, I'm sure he's been getting bits and pieces of this stuff so far. All he has said was the, the line of last weekend, which was, if this is true, there's no place for him. Um, he needs to step aside. At that point, there were, there was the the fourteen the woman who at fourteen that the most serious accuser, and three other women. They all came out together. By the way, they were in a story in the Washington Post. So the first four emerged. This 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 the the fourteen year old who was taken to and 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 inappropriately inappropriately touched, um, uh, uh, in in pretty aggressive ways. Um, and, and three other girls who, three other women who, as teenagers, said that he had, had asked them out, uh, tried to date them, and in one or at least one case had dated uh, her a little bit. What what's now emerging though the case the the the, the woman yes who came out yesterday, it was much more a sexual a, a forced sexual assault where she was fighting and screaming, and then let out of the car. Right. Um, uh, her story adds up. It, there are contemporaneous people who he talked to, who she talked to. It turns out that many people knew that in his early 30s, when he was a, a DA, that he liked to date high school girls. He would hang around high school football games and a mall, and apparently where, where the teens hung out. And apparently, he was either banned from or run off from, there's different stories, that mall for several years because he was known to be a creep who was hanging around trying to date uh, high school girls. So right. the, the, the stuff keeps adding up, which makes anybody, and I think this was sort of a Ted Cruz thing, when he saw the, the allegation from yesterday, um, uh, the, the, the woman who described an incident in a car after work and, hey, and Alan and showed, yeah Alan I need to I need to break in real quick I, I can't believe I'm saying this again on the air but uh, we've got breaking news out of Northern California NBC is now reporting that four people are dead a gunman is killed in Tehama <laughs> County Northern California uh a gunman apparently was shooting random people around an elementary school in Northern California. Again, yeah. Yeah, four dead, of, several, four dead, several injured. Yeah. Just out between Chico yeah. and Sacramento uh, in Tehama County, uh, California. Details are still coming in, but apparently this was close to uh, the uh, elementary school there in rural Tehama County. Uh, according to the sheriff, that they have airlifted several students for emergency treatment. The school has been cleared, and that they have children that were attending the school uh, that are in a safe location. So once again, another mass shooting. According to the sheriff in Tehama County, Northern California, four people dead several, at least 10 others injured during a, a shooting spree outside an elementary school in California. We're going to monitor that and we'll get you more details as they become available. Um, anyway, let, let's get back to this if we can real quick. Uh, Dan Lipner, the, the political liability that Roy Moore has, is, is it logical that if, if the Republicans were smart, 
They would take Roy Moore equals in formula Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon here is the bigger political liability than Roy Moore. I mean, the problem is the Republican Party already knows this. I mean, Alan's point that the national Republicans have already tried to get rid of him. They all view Steve Bannon as a menace that is no value added. But unfortunately, the the real takeaway with everything that's going on or and the, and the fact that Roy Moore is still in the race, both in the race as far as his name still on the ballot and in the races he can still win, is Hillary Clinton was right. There, there is this pocket of deplorables that would rather vote party nonsense. It's not even party nonsense. It's these non-issues that government has little to do with and uh, substance and actual meaning and being decent human beings doesn't matter. So, yeah, it's, it, that's way more. Sharmila, it, it seems to me that uh, if, if he does win, which is still a very distinct possibility right now, although it does look like that uh, the race has tightened from a landslide for the GOP to a very narrow lead for the Democrats in that race, uh, there's still a chance that he could come back. That is a very heavily Trump-centered state. Is, is there a bigger risk that he wins and Mitch McConnell and the Republicans decide not to seat him? Or are they going to be forced to seat him as the Republicans and the voters of Alabama have spoken? Yeah, I mean, I do not envy Mitch McConnell right now because he is faced with no good options in this scenario. If if McConnell and the establishment Republicans, if Moore is elected and McConnell and the establishment Republicans vote to remove him, I'm sure all the Democrats will join in in a, in a motion to expel. That's going to feed right into Steve Bannon and Roy Moore's narrative that the deck is stacked against him and that establishment Republicans are invested in not having things change, and it's just going to further alienate that base. And Mitch McConnell knows it. He's no dummy. So he's got, you know, he, his best case scenario is that Doug Jones wins, and he can, then they can run a more popular candidate than Luther Strange in 2018. Yeah, it won't be Moore, 2020. I mean, yeah, it won't be till yeah. 2020. So oh, um, 2020. Forgive me. Yeah. Alan Moore? So, well, unfortunately, what, what the Republicans are hoping for is a steady, a steady stream of more stories coming forward. Um, the, 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 there are mixed reactions, as I read it, from um, – from Republicans in Alabama. Some believe Roy Moore. That is, this is all made up stuff by the left-leaning Washington Post, which broke the initial story, that, that that it's all lies. And there are people who truly believe that, that there's this national conspiracy. So that's, that's one group. There's another group that says, well, I don't know if it's true or not, we need to know more. Let's not run away with something and unfairly condemn uh, a person who denies it. Um, and uh, let's let's wait and see. Now the wait the problem the problem with waiting and seeing is the special election is about a month off. 
Um, and then there are those who say, you know, even if it's true, it's not that bad. A lot of guys date younger women. Um, that's creepy. And, and that doesn't exactly reflect the, the national culture, but, but there are parts of, uh, uh, of America where uh, <laughs> dating young teenagers when you're not a young teenager yourself uh, is, uh, you are, is something Alan, that, you are, Alan Moore, you if are it's a not, good If Re- it's not done now, it used to be done. Alan Moore, you're um, a good Republican. You are a really good Republican to take that stance. Wow. That, that is literally like Roy, that is like Roy Moore stance. saying. What's that? What stance are you accusing me of taking? No, 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 no. Explain, that was sarcasm. That was sarcasm. I'm trying to explain there's different <laughs> groups down there. No, no, that was sarcasm. You know, that are. Alan. So, what, Alan. Where, where are you putting me in that spectrum? I'm just trying to describe Alan, the situation Alan, I was, as I understand it. Dan says they're all deplorables. And I say, I don't know. All I see is that there's different frames of mind from different people. And, uh, and 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 so I'm trying to sort out what's likely to happen. I kind of hope that a couple more shoes fall, that that they're able to force the guy to. Well, the, here's the problem: if you, if he steps aside, then what? Then you need because he's still on the ballot. You need a write-in that's credible. That's why I made my reference Look, much earlier. Maybe Jeff Alan, Jeff Sessions. Hey, yeah. Alan, I will tell you. I will tell you right now. I have talked to several folks on the hill regarding this exact situation i i've talked to several who have talked to me on background and they're saying the republicans are almost like you know what a junior senate seat in alabama isn't worth this let the dems have it we'll figure it out later on but they 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 are ready to write this seat off which to me that's nonsense justin that is complete nonsense you don't write any seat off especially if you have a a, a two-seat majority, and you're you're going into an election. Having said that, they would say there are worse things than having Doug Jones win, like Roy Moore wins, and then you have to right. decide whether you're going right. to draw him out of there. But they're but not he, wanting, but They're not. They don't want to give this up. They're not walking away from this. They're not. But here's you know washing here's the their problem. hands. Here's they the are problem. stepping out at their own political peril with other Republicans saying. I believe the women get out, get the hell out of here. That's not that's not doing nothing. It's just that I they don't have a lot of power or a lot of options. They, well, they don't. But here, here's the problem: is is right now the longer every day that Roy Moore stays in the race is another day taken away from somebody who could step in and win. And every day closer to election day in the special election race becomes more and more perilous. It, it, but here's the thing is, the worst of the two evils is Roy Moore, their own candidate, getting elected. That is going to put them in such a huge hard spot and rock position that you know it would make anybody crazy to think, do I seat the duly elected, uh, do I seat the duly elected Senate senator or candidate from the state of Alabama who is going to be continue to be known as a possible uh, uh, assailant on 
a, a sexual sound against minors. Um, you know, do you see him, or do you hope that a Democrat wins and it takes the problem out completely? Because right now it seems to me that nobody in Alabama really knows which way to go with this. The evangelicals back Roy Moore. Well, with every new uh, disclosure, every new person that comes forward, including the woman yesterday, who, if you think about it, although she was 16 and not 14, the, 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 the actions of Roy Moore in that case were more aggressive. It was more clearly uh, pure sexual assault. Um, and that's no defense of what he was doing with the 14-year-old, right? It's just that, and- that, that, that the, the more of the stuff that's out there, the harder it is, no matter what somebody thinks of Roy Moore or Mitch McConnell or the Washington Post, the harder it is to get over. And if we learned anything from last Tuesday in the elections here in Virginia and, uh, in particular, it's the year of women. And I'm really curious to see what the women of Alabama do a month from now if Roy Moore is still on the ticket. And we've, even if no one else comes forward, we know everything we know. Um, and he continues to deny, what do the women do in Alabama? I wouldn't take anything for granted about how they're going to vote. If they do vote for Roy Moore, then the Republicans have got to figure out what to do with that. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do take, would, would take the unparalleled action of refusing to seat him and forcing another election, forcing an open seat there. Um, and it would it would it would create havoc, but you'd end up presumably down the road. You never know, with another Republican. Sure. Um, I just don't Charmley. know. I don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Charmley, you had you had a comment. Oh, I was going to say what makes um, the fifth allegation even more disturbing. In addition to Alan's point that it was much more of a true assault, is that that is the. Uh, and one where there was the additional uh, fact that he allegedly threatened her and said, no one's going to believe you. Don't, don't tell anyone because I'm the DA and you're just some girl. Which also adds a shade of, you know, everything that we've been reading about Harvey Weinstein and sort of that, that doubly horrible aspect of a man in power using that power to keep a woman silent. I mean, I don't want to make that. light of, I don't want to make light of this, but I mean, how creepy does it get when the district attorney signs your yearbook? He signed the girl's yearbook. I, t- there's so many inappropriate things about this. Wait, I, I, I missed that little tidbit. Oh, you didn't know this? Oh, if you want, it, it, for, the, for the audience and for the panelists, go Google the image of Roy Moore signed yearbook he signed the yearbook of one of the accusers basically saying how pretty she is how beautiful she is and not only does he sign it as Roy Moore he puts down Roy Moore Roy Moore DA and and he puts down DA I mean you cannot I'm sure the liberal Washington Post planted that it's all fake news because they went in the time that didn't because even come they from the post. The but, they went to a time machine. They went to a time machine back to the nineteen seventies. 
Come on. No, let me let me let me just that was let me just right. Let me just explain explain the the chronology as it's as it's been reported. This girl who has brought this charge was at 16 a waitress at a restaurant that he used to frequent regularly, and he would often sit at her table, flirt with her, talk to her, tell her how pretty she was. One day in the restaurant, she had her her yearbook there, and that's when he signed it. Um, and then not long thereafter, not that day, but within a week or two, he offered her a ride home. She said, okay, got in the car, and he didn't take her home. He drove her not very far behind the restaurant back in a kind of a concealed hidden place, and that's where he attacked her. And there's no word other than he attacked her that explains uh, more accurately what he did. And uh, she fought and screamed and yelled, and he finally pushed her out of the car and said, as Sharmila said, don't ever tell anybody about this. I'm a district attorney. I'm an important guy. No one will believe you, and it will ruin your life. So so that's why he, that's why it was that he happened to sign her yearbook. Having said that, it's, it's, he says, I don't know her. I never heard of her. I don't know about this restaurant. And he mentions the name of the restaurant too, when he, when he signs his name. So I guess we'll bring in some handwriting experts to decide whether that was truly his handwriting. People who are familiar with it said, looks like it to me, but you know, it wasn't an expert opinion. It's crazy yeah. stuff. This Good guy's grief. a nutcase and a slime ball, and he has no business being elected dog catcher, and yet he was elected to the Supreme Court not once to, the, to be chief just, judge of the Supreme Court. It's a good reminder why we shouldn't have elections to, 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 the, to the court system. Um, and, uh, and was twice by, by federal judges ordered to stop doing things, which he refused to do. One was to remove a... a uh, a Ten Commandments statue that he he alone decided was appropriate in a state office building was told you can't refused to remove it and was removed from office used that to get elected by a mere three percent margin a few years later during which time he told the county clerks not to observe the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage and not to give wedding licenses which he was also trampled on by federal judiciary and had to step down a second time but he used those to catapult himself into this election a victory um over the the sitting albeit appointed senator the guy who replaced uh, jeff sessions and uh it became a national uh kind of campaign with steve bannon on the one side and uh mitch mcconnell and for that matter the president on the other side um, the Bannon side won. Rex Moore won. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I laugh because it's like, who elects these guys? Well, the, the voters of the state of, uh, of Alabama several times. Right. And, uh, AKA, uh, AKA deplorable. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, no. I mean, but <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't choose to call them deplorables myself, well, but I'm me, happy that you do, um, let, let me go, but, or happily that Hillary Clinton did, because that, that, right. uh, that was useful na- nationwide. It's just, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, it, it, it confuses me no end. Um, right. Sharmila, I want to go to Sharmila real quick. Yeah. Sharmila, is, is this, 
you know, we saw what happened next Tuesday, and this is going to segue into the next segment, but we saw what happened last Tuesday. We're seeing the situation here with Roy Moore, and the numbers of accusers seem to be growing exponentially at this point. Um, is there... Is, is there some substance to the idea that the the woman voter could be the unsung silent majority in the midterms and possibly 2020? I think yes and no. I think that one thing when these first when these allegations first came out, I found myself feeling a you know very strange sense of deja vu all over again, where I thought, huh, this really reminds me of October 2016 when a certain Access Hollywood tape came out, and I thought, okay, nail in the coffin. No matter what else you think, no woman could vote for this guy, and yet 53% of white women voted for him, and so that sort of when, when the allegations about Roy Moore came out, I thought, huh, this is horrible. This is horrifying. This is much more horrifying than the Access Hollywood tape. And yet, I will not be surprised at all if women continue, especially in a state that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, if women just plow right through this and continue to vote for Roy Moore. The only, the only thing that gives me pause and that makes me hopeful that this will be different is that the opponent, Doug Jones, is a very different animal than Hillary Clinton. I think that Doug Jones, for anything else, despite being a Democrat, is far less reviled in this state. And, you know, he's a native Alabaman. He's, he's been a prosecutor for many years. He's a civil rights icon. I think that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of boxes that he could potentially check for the moderate right um, or the undecided female voter uh, over and above, you know, a Hillary Clinton. That being said, I think that you've seen, if, I don't know if you read the New York Times article after last Tuesday's, you know, Democratic watershed victories, but a lot of that groundswell momentum came from women, came from women activists who were first time, for the first time getting involved in politics or re-upping their commitment to politics, who said enough is enough. We can't allow a, you know, a Trump administration and a majority GOP in the House and Senate to run roughshod over our health care and our individual rights and the rights of our LGBT friends. This is not acceptable anymore. This is 2017. And so, yes, I think that you've definitely seen a re-engagement and a re-energizing of women. And I think we're going to have to wait and see what happens in the 2018 election if the momentum from this year and the kind of collective anger that we've experienced at at the stories of the Weinsteins and the Spaceys and the Roy Moores is going to carry over for a year until next November. Is this, is this something, Sharmila, that we could see? And because I know that this scandal has not only affected the Alabama Senate race, but it's affected even uh, become scandals in places like the Florida state legislature, um, places like Albany, the New York state legislature. Uh, there have been several reports out of several state capitals that there have been problems. Is, is this a wake-up call that that politicians and everybody in this political process should wake up and saying, look, the old school ways of doing things are done? Yeah, well, I'd, ho- I'd hope that people wake up and say, wow, the old school ways of doing things were wrong. <laughs> yes, they're definitely done, and 
we're realizing that they were really wrong and really messed up, and we disadvantaged the women that we worked with, that we relied on to get our work done, to um, you know, to support us financially, emotionally, professionally, however, however they did. But I think that, yeah, I, you know, I, I certainly hope that this serves as a wake-up call for anyone who is a potential creep or knows they've been a creep in the past, that this, this ends now. Yeah, yeah I, probably, I probably agree with you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what actually happened last Tuesday and talk about what this means for the future. Is, is the Democrats, are the Democrats really getting their act together, or is the Republican Party in such disarray we got last Tuesday? We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio here in Washington, D.C., and the National Capital Region. Politics. 
And we're back here live from the National Capital Region. This is the best political talk show you never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, uh, we have Sharma Achari up in New York City. And here in the National Capital Region, we have Dan Lipner and Alan Moore. Uh, we're going to continue our political discussion, bringing up the situation that happened last Tuesday. In case you haven't heard, that loud racing noise you hear outside your window that is the victory lap being taken by the Democrats after a solid win and a solid showing last week in the election cycle for 2017. The victory concluded. Uh, Whoever is getting ice in their drink, can you please go to mute? Try. Thanks. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to bring back the spirit of the old show. Oh, oh, wow. There we go. Oh, oh. He, he means the spirits, the pouring the spirits of the old the show. The pouring of the spirits Indeed. of the old show. Hey, um, <laughs> so for that matter, that let's go back. For the next time back. I come to D.C. Yeah, exactly. We got to do that. Anyway, that being the case, uh, one of the, the two big wins for the Democrats, obviously uh, a kind of no-brainer where uh, the former Goldman Sachs executive, uh, Murphy beat the in a fairly decent beatdown, a more anti-Christie run more than a uh, anti-Kim Giordano run on that one. But the bigger story was the almost double-digit win uh, beatdown where the lieutenant governor, the Democratic lieutenant governor in the Commonwealth of Virginia. One Dr. Uh, Ralph Northam beat the Republican candidate, former GOP chair Ed Gillespie, in what many thought was a mandate in Virginia. So let me go to you, Dan Lipner, first. How big of a win is it for the Democrats? Is this a anti-Trump mandate, or is this a sign that the Democrats are getting their, their act together, particularly with the win in Virginia? Uh, I'm leaning closer to the getting our act together because the governor's race actually wasn't the biggest deal. Um, while it was the biggest, the biggest item, it was the pickups in conservative districts. Uh, and uh, Alan might know uh, her name, but the first transgender uh, person elected to the, the state house in Virginia. Danica Rome. Uh, beat Danica, Danica Rome. Who, yeah. who, uh, who, who beat the author of the, uh, the bathroom ban in Virginia, uh, that was a pretty big win, and it was a, not an incredibly liberal seat. So if anything, the, 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 what, what Tuesday showed was kind of putting to bed the, the, the over-analytics and the, over, the over-reliance on data that the Democratic Party had been doing since 2008 with the election of Barack Obama, which showed to have little value on off-year elections. The Democratic Party fielded candidates in seats where they hadn't fielded candidates in years. And part of it was you had good people who did the hard work and, and won. And even the ones who didn't win put up a pretty good fight in places that was unexpected. And that helped drive the entire ticket toward victory. That 
lo and behold, you have to do the work. It's not just the geeks that, uh, playing on the computers, crunching data. It's also people knocking on doors, doing the sweat equity to actually win voters' trust and get elected. And kudos to all of them for doing it. And more importantly, remember what we did for the next election and the next election after that. So, yeah, Charma, do you agree? I mean, there was a lot of... Is, is this, in fact, them getting their act together? I think so. And I think, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, in a focused way and focusing on really down-ballot and local elections in a much more focused and committed way than they had before. And, and Dan's absolutely right, right? I mean, it, as opposed to data and analytics and waiting to, you know, and just writing off uh, districts that they thought were unwinnable, they fielded good candidates, and there was a lot of Democratic activist shoe leather going on in those districts. I can't tell you how many emails I got from New York State Democratic groups telling me to get on a bus to Virginia. There were really? a lot of people invested in these in this election out you know outside of the state of Virginia and I think it paid off. You know, it it, it it's funny because, you know, if you look at you would think that with Tuesday's results that it was just an epic blowout for Republicans. However, Alan Moore, if we look at the numbers, for example, we look at the governor's numbers, uh before Tuesday there were fifteen Democratic governors, 34 Republican governors, one independent. Uh, we had a net gain of one on e- uh, a net gain of one for the Democrats after Tuesday. It was 16 to 33 to one. Uh, if you look at the uh, state government, uh, you know, like state senates, look at state senates. Republicans still have a good majority of them, 36 to 14. State houses, same deal. Is, is, is wait, this wait, a matter wait, 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 wait. of how, how no, many states no, were not, on the ballot the on on Tuesday? You can't you can't compare everything when not everyone's voting. Well, no, no, no. I mean, if you look at it, for example, for the for the for the control of state houses before last Tuesday, okay, of those that were up, thirty-one were controlled by Republicans. 18 were controlled by Democrats. After Tuesday, you had 30 that were uh, controlled by Republicans, 18 controlled by Democrats, and one undecided. That was after the election on Tuesday. Yes, and I'm saying not all 50 states' legislatures were up on Tuesday. That's a nonsense statistic. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Dan. It was a mere just a couple of states were actually had votes. Everybody else does it on the even years, and and Virginia and New Jersey uh, are these oddball states that that I, that have typically four year terms, but they do it on an off year. Um, no, but so, I hear you. I guess Dan, what I'm Dan is Dan absolutely right about the the big story in Virginia was was uh, you know the the big item as he said was the gubernatorial race which had a much bigger difference than anybody expected nine points they thought it was close they thought it was closing they thought there was a chance that that Gillespie this was the pros might actually close and and pull out a victory and he got stomped but the big story was in the state house where the republicans 66 to 33 majority going in became basically 50-50. 
and it, we mentioned the one the one woman Danica Rome, but there were there were cases all over the state. There were many districts where the the, the Democrats hadn't even fielded a candidate. And this year, not only did they field candidates, but because the 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 vote for governor got a lot of attention. That all this outside effort and money, uh, the, I mean, the Charmela mentions people were, were on the phones, going door to door, please vote, please vote, please vote. The, the African-American vote was much higher than people expected, given the nature of, of the history of elections in, in Virginia. Um, some of that was presumably Trump. Some of that was Charlottesville and the, and the Trump reaction in general to Charlottesville, the horror of what happened in Charlottesville. Um, there were uh, numerous factors, but again, as I said much earlier in the show, in Tuesday, last Tuesday in Virginia, it was the year of women. The Northam won with women by 22 percentage points, significantly larger than Hillary Clinton's um, uh, numbers with women um and and uh they the 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 northam did better with white women and with with uh women of color it was a staggering uh kind of result for republicans looking forward thinking oh my god what's going on out there is is virginia paving the way for 2018 are are there things that were particularly unique to Virginia that won't reemerge? Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! What what is this telling us? Because that outcome, especially in the state house, was just not anticipated, not being discussed. Um, uh, it, it was like a couple of congressional re- uh, elections we've had in in uh, you know the last thirty years. We're like, oh my God, the Republicans won the house. But, in 94. Yeah, but oh my God! Alan, the, the Republicans won the Senate in 1980. Alan, it had that not, kind of feeling here in Virginia. Yeah, but Alan, the, the the one thing that we do have to point out though is the fact that you know what happened in Virginia was not necessarily the big romp that we saw in other states, particularly out in Midwest. You know, Virginia is a great example and a very uh, a very high visibility example. We also look at, you know, the governor's race in New Jersey. We look at the fact that Bill de Blasio won as mayor of New York, surprisingly, because a, nobody can put up a fight again. Nobody can put up a decent candidate to go against them, which is why he won. But, you know, when we look at the bigger picture, particularly in places like the Midwest uh, and heading out towards Rocky mountain country, does that, Mantra seem to be the same. Is this a wave that's starting on the East Coast and will take more progression as we get closer to midterms next year? If, if, if I'm a Republican, I have to assume that it is. It, it was just a handful of states. Most people didn't vote on Tuesday. Most states didn't have elections. But Virginia did. Um, New Jersey was no big surprise. New York City, my God, it's a Democratic city. You got a Democrat incumbent. Of course he's going to win. It was just a question of by how much. Um, and I'm not probably not one of us. Even even Sharmila, who lives up there, can can spell the name of his opponent. Um, I can't tell you the name of the opponent, much less spell it. So, so Virginia was the one that that it, that everybody's going to going to take apart and try to figure out and wonder 
what the significant is. And there was nothing else happening around the country that had anywhere near the significance or the potential implications. Who knows a year from now? But if I'm Republicans, I'm thinking, oh, my God, we have a women problem. That I got to believe that, that, that what, we, what we saw happen in Virginia was not irrelevant to the reaction to Roy Moore. Um, and, and I'm not yeah. saying it caused it. I'm just saying it was not irrelevant. Oh, yeah. it was, we got a Can women you... problem, guys. Oh, my God, Roy Moore is a pedophile hanging around trolling in malls and in high schools. He might be in the Senate. Good God, keep him out of here. How do we keep yeah, him out of here? Charmla, let, me, let me go to Sharmla on this one because, Sharmla, you know, you know the, the, the one question that pops into my mind about all this, <clears throat> excuse me, is that when we look at the women vote in Virginia, you know, it, can we make a similar comparison into more evangelical-based areas like Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Arkansas, Texas, those areas? I, I mean, is this something that we can honestly say the women, the the wave of women voters, the the empowerment of the woman voter in what we saw in Jersey and Virginia and here on the East Coast will convey further west? Well, I think, I mean, I think there's a difference between will it convey, what hap- will what happened in Virginia uh, convey down to Alabama and will what happened in Virginia convey out west? I think that certainly in some states out west, um, you know, in states like Oregon and Washington where you have very divided states, or even California where you have quite divided states where, you know, at least in Oregon and Washington, the coastal areas are very blue, but the rest, the eastern interiors of those states are very deeply conservative. I think, yes, I think some of that activism and some of that enthusiasm can carry over. Uh, In Alabama, I don't think it'll just be a women thing. I think what Alan pointed out earlier about really mobilizing the African-American vote in Virginia, which had been, has, is certainly neglected in off-year elections, uh, is going to be very key in the southern states as part of a cohesive strategy. You can't just do it with women. I think that it's going. It's got to be women plus in a lot of these states. Dan Lipner, did did Tuesday's results take some of the wind out of Steve Bannon's sails as far as him being a legitimate power player in the leadership of the party? Nope. And the thirty-three <laughs> percent are still with with Trump. And Trump bravely and boldly said the buck stops over there. Since he's claiming Gillespie's error was not backing him enough, that if indeed Gillespie had backed Trump, and if everyone else had backed Trump, they obviously would have won. See, it's not Trump's fault. And as long as that is still going on, yeah, that and that list of deplorables can, will still turn out for whatever Bannon tells them to. Yeah, it, 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 he, he's got his power base, and that's a surprisingly large plurality, if not majority, of the Republican Party. Of, uh, I should say majority of the Republican Party that turn out in off-year elections and primaries, so, which is a different yeah, number than who turns out in general elections. Right, and, and Alan Moore, you know, I talked to – a couple of Republicans here in, in Washington that were familiar with with uh, Ed Gillespie's run, and they told me that he, that they got the impression that the, the last minute Trump like push 
the advertising, the messaging coming out of the Gillespie camp is not something that we would normally equate to uh, an established Republican player like Ed Gillespie. He was more sensible. He was, you know, former chair of the RNC. Uh, Did the fact that he went down the Trump rabbit hole contribute to his possible demise? Or was that something he had to do? He just didn't do it early enough. Well, who knows? You know, I'll let the I'll let the true uh, experts uh, sort that out. My sense was that that where I live in Northern Virginia, which is a which is increasingly heavily Democratic and, and reliably so, that that the Gillespie ads were darker and more negative and more exaggerated than the Northam ads. Northam Northam cleaned up his modified his. He, he, early on, he famously said in an ad that called Trump a narcissistic maniac. And, you know, it put a smile on people's face on the one hand, but then other people thought, wait a second, is that really what you want to say? Is that the tone you want to take? So he dumped that ad months, a couple of months ago and then began to run an ad that about himself when he said, look, I'll work with anybody who wants to help uh, uh, Virginia. And if the president uh, does, then I want to work with him. Now, so far, he's tried to cut our school spending, cut this and cut that, but but I want to work with anybody who wants to help us. And it was a different kind of a message. There was a lot of negative ads about about Gillespie and his time as a as a uh, as a lobbyist, and that's that's always been fair game. Anybody who's spent time as a lobbyist is going to take a bunch of grief for making a lot of money for being an evil lobbyist. Um, but kind of run of the mill stuff. The the Gillespie stuff, the more controversial stuff, he got very dark in suggesting that a bill that Northam had, had, had been associated with and embraced, which would restore rights to felons, um, something that Governor McAuliffe was out front doing and, and gave the vote back to a lot of felons. Um, uh, he, he tried to use that issue by saying that, that Northam was soft on on uh, Hispanic gang members um, from Central America. And it was, it was ugly, it was dark, it was accusatory, it was just way out there. And I'm guessing maybe parts of the state, there people say, yeah, yeah. But up here in Northern Virginia, it turned people off in a big way. Even people who, like Gillespie, would say, ick, that I gotta go, I gotta go wash my hands. And that's the guy I want to vote for. Um, it, it, Virginia is a real challenge because the, the, the North has got the money. It's got the people. It's liberal and democratic. And Richmond is increasingly democratic for sort of different reasons. Um, and then Norfolk, Newark, Newport News and over, over on, the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the ocean tends to be democratic. The rest of the state, the rest of the state, Gillespie um, uh, won. He he won, right. but he didn't he didn't win by the same numbers that he that he won before. And in some cases, um, in some of those areas, um, the, the the state house seat went the other way. Um, and uh, it, it was a fascinating uh, outcome, a fascinating election. Um, women. And, and the high turnout of, of African-Americans. And then, of course, the very high turnout up here in northern Virginia, which is heavily Democratic anyway. People 
went to the polls. It was cold and rainy. Historically, that means a lot of Dems won't yeah. go vote. Well, they stayed. They waited in line. Right. They voted. They crushed Gillespie, right. and they had this tsunami right. uh, across the state and the states. Right. Dan Lipner, let me let me ask you because you know we saw the victory lap that the Dems took. You, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer both almost ran out in track suits. They were ready to do a victory lap with an Olympic torch. The reality is, there's still some question as far as there being a new vibe, a new sense of direction. Is it a matter of there there may have to be new leadership going forward in the Democratic Party that the old school leadership just might not be cutting anymore? Do we get do we da- do we go from a Nancy Pelosi to a uh, a new face? Do we go to a new person in the Senate than Chuck Schumer? What's the winning solution here? Okay, first. Dude, we won. <laughs> You're not going to try and paint this as Democrats aren't great. Yes, there, is there a leadership question, the fact that everyone's 100 years old in the leadership? Absolutely, and I would, I, I would never question that at all. I, I'm a proponent of making sure we start grooming a next generation. However, if the question is whether or not the D- Democrats learned a lesson from our drubbing in the past, and and the Donald Trump creation and what's going on, the answer is yes, we have learned that lesson. And it's not just the leadership in Washington that learned it. We learned it down ballot. We learned that, yes, the, the National Democratic Party matters, but so does everything else. And this goes probably further back to the Howard Dean leadership and the 50-state strategy that delivered the House back to the Democrats in 2006. It's the things that we get, we keep forgetting repeatedly when power gets overconsolidated. And one of the other things that we talked about uh, last week, and I went out of my way to read most of her book this weekend, at Donna Brazil's point, that actually was pretty damning to not only Hillary Clinton, but Barack Obama and, of course, Debbie Wasserman Schultz for really depleting the Democratic Party simply for the sake of the presidential – for the presidency and presidential campaigns of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. That's depleted Democrats down ballot in every place else in the country. That stuff matters, and that lesson has been learned. The question is whether or not we'll forget next time the next shiny thing comes in front of us, but the lesson has been learned at the moment. Yeah, but Charmela, you, you know, I, I – I have this discussion with you guys, and I and what comes to mind is a uh, a skit on Saturday Night Live over the weekend where it showed all the old school faces trying to reinvent themselves as new leadership. You know, the Hillary Clinton with the mustache routine. You know, <laughs> oh, Hillary Clinton would be a great person to have as leader if we tried it again. You know. It, is there a the young new set- and exciting Mitch McConnell and the young, exciting <laughs> Donald Trump? <laughs> Don't, forget I'm not saying the Republican- Don't change the subject the or anything, Dan. <laughs> hey, Dan, Dan, you know what? You were, you were going Donald Trump. You're doing the what about turn. I'm surprised by that, Dan. I am really surprised by that. 
But Charmla, is there a new crew of leadership that we can expect to see that might be able to inject themselves between now and the midterms of 2018? Whether or not there is, there's got to be. I think that there are, you know, younger, I, I, I hesitate to say young, but younger leaders in the party that are emerging. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is not that much younger than Hillary Clinton, but she's at least a freshman. <laughs> she's hardly the one you want to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Cory Bo- Booker. Kamala Harris? Cory is... Booker? Well, Cory Booker. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. Let me just interject here real quick. Sharmila, you know, the, the names that you guys have thrown around. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, uh, the Castro brothers, uh, you know, Chris Van Holland, et cetera. There are names out there that are flowing around but don't seem to get the traction that they need to help re-energize the party right now. And to Dan's point, I understand that they won, but winning two governorships and winning, you know, some conservative seats, although a great story, still the bigger – the bigger fish to fry here is the midterms retaking the Senate, retaking the house. Is there going to have to be some sort of new dynamic leadership in order for them to do that? Well, I think that there is a split in the party, right? Because I think that there is the old school, more conservative, you know, to however you want to apply that to liberals, but the old school, more moderate, more center, center left folks who feel that, you know, who are still really smarting from the Trump victory, which, which should have been, you know, by, by, by all practical measures, a, a Democratic landslide, um, who think that the party is still in crisis and that this is not, this is the time where you need to staunch the bleeding and not the time to try some kind of crazy new experimental treatment by just subbing in all the old leadership with new people. And I think there's some merit to the argument. And then you have the more progressive wing in the party that's saying, you know, the, you are the, you know, the existence of the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and, you know, this old guard of the Democratic and the Joe Biden's, the, the, this old guard of the Democratic Party is what's caused us to lose. And we need to be speaking the language of the new Democrats. And so until like, I think that that's the tension that that's the fundamental tension that still isn't being resolved. I mean, I mean, Dan Lipner, doesn't it strike you as odd that the new fresh face of the Republican Party is an old Jewish guy from Vermont? The Democratic Party. You mean the Democratic Party? And he's not. He, He literally said this weekend, I'm an independent. So for all of the nonsense about about Bernie Sanders getting screwed during the Democratic primary process, because none of the Democratic infrastructure backed him. He said again this past weekend, I'm an independent. So there are other people that have complaints on that. He he is not one of them. If you don't help build the machine, you don't get to just steal it and complain about it. (laughs) He actually hasn't complained that much. Yeah. No, 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 that's true. And, And Alan's actually correct. Bernie Sanders has not complained. And complained much about it, and and he's right about that. The, the Bernie Bros, the Bernie backers, the Bernie Robust folks, those folks really need to understand what it is that, that parties do. And if they want to show up in the off season to the meetings and do the party building at their at the county Democratic parties, I encourage them to do it. But don't just show up once every four years. And, be surprised that everyone isn't going to bow down at your feet just because you showed up for the first time ever. Yeah, but Dan, you have to admit, though, if you went to a Hillary campaign rally, 
It was like God's waiting room. You went to a Bernie campaign rally. It was like a fraternity house kegger. Yeah, but the other thing about that is, and A, it's not true, but more importantly, the, 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 the college fraternity kegger was also all white. If Bernie could have gotten more brown people to vote for him, he, would have, he, would, he could have been the nominee. He didn't. He didn't. Charmla, you agree with that? Uh, I slightly disagree with that because there were, I mean, there was, I think, a lot more alignment between Bernie and the Black Lives Matter movement than there was between the Hillary campaign and some of the more very left-wing groups. Um, you know, I, I actually knew a lot of black and brown people, and they also coincidentally happened to be younger people, people, you know, generally under 25, who were really enamored of Bernie and really believed the kind of rhetoric coming from the Bernie Sanders campaign that Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton were, you know, contributed to the mass incarceration of, of black men and, you know, that right. you know, still took on bridge at the Hillary super predators comment. So I would somewhat agree. I think that on towards on the older end of the spectrum as, and it took me a few minutes to get your God's waiting room joke, Justin, but on the older end of the spectrum, certainly I agree with Dan that it was mostly, he mostly had white supporters, but on the younger end, I think he did have a good mix of non-white support. Right. So, Hey, Justin. Um, yeah, go ahead, Alan, real quick. Yeah, I just real want to quick. say one more thing that, that the Democrats better be prepared to reconcile going forward. What's that? Is how they deal with Bill Clinton's history as a sexual predator. They've been hiding it. They've been concealing it. They've been apologizing for it for more than 20 years. And you know, Trump, in a very ugly way, tried to drag that into the campaign. I think it reminded some people of how much they uh, had either conflicted feelings about Bill Clinton or how much they didn't like him. That was just uh, one one more albatross around Hillary Clinton's neck. But now, with with all of the revelations of the Harvey Weinsteins, the Kevin Spaceys, the the, uh, the 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 Hollywood uh, crowd, uh, Louis C.K. and others, and now the Judge Roy Moore stuff. There's new attention on the the history of Bill Clinton and how women made their own pact with the devil. That bad as the stuff was, I'd rather have him a, a uh, an advocate for women's. Uh, uh, rights in many instances um, uh, than the alternative, but the accusations against Bill Clinton, which are highly plausible, although it wasn't with 14-year-olds, was worse than the accusations but, against Roy Moore, horrible and disgusting as those are. And yeah, more Alan, and more folks are now talking about, writing about, reflecting upon, and thinking about uh, the the fact that uh, there's some stuff that got pushed under the rug there that's popping back up but now, Alan um, Moore, and, the, Alan and I Moore, think Democrats are going to have to are going to be asked about that going forward, notwithstanding right, the fact Alan, that Hillary let, won't Alan, be on the ballot. The next the next time Bill Clinton on, is on, on the ballot, we'll make stop. sure Every, and talk on, about that. Dan, but as long as we also Dan, talk about Dan, he, he signed the Dan, Violence Against on. Women Act. Dan, all right, everybody good hold deal. on here. Good luck, good luck, Dan. Good luck that people aren't going to be asking about that. 
Alan, wait a minute. Let me ask this question because this is this is something that 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 kind of bugs me a little bit. And I'm a Republican saying this. You know, we're going to go back. Are, I mean, are we going to go back? <clears throat> excuse me. And look at Bill Clinton. I mean, how far do we go? Do we go back and look at JFK? Was I mean, JFK had women lined up all over the East Coast. Do we go back There's and look at him? There's a difference between consensual consensual infidelity and unprovoked sexual attacks on unsuspecting women. There's a huge difference. I, this, I'm just saying, though. The White, the White House intern read, that Kennedy supposedly week, had an ongoing week, affair with. Go read, that, that, go read that this week's more than problematic. Go read this week's How, Atlantic. Read this week's New York Times op-ed page. This is, <laughs> folks. This is not dredging up twenty-five-year-old stuff. Meet Alan Moore doing. This is <laughs> what other credible, thoughtful people are doing. Read the Atlantic. No, I, I, I think the difference this I think, week. I think one of the differences, I, though, is that the Bill Clinton allegations have already been litigated in the court of public opinion. Right? We've been taught. You know, in 1992 and 1993 and 1994 and 96 and 98, when they were all coming out, we've been talking about them for a long time. Does that not does that preclude Democrats from going back and revisiting the issue? Absolutely not. But I think that there is less compulsion and less kind of momentum to do so because we have been talking about them for the last 25 years. I think that what's different in the current spate of allegations coming out is that these are new revelations, right? These are new revelations of systemic and, and because they're all kind of coming out in this one pot, in this one, you know, massive tsunami, it's, it's a much more um, damning portrait of the institutional sexism and the institutional ways that men are using power to intimidate and demean women. And I, I wouldn't, I would never, if the allegations against Bill Clinton are true that, you know, as governor and in other roles, he made inappropriate and unwanted advances on women, that's another piece of evidence to throw into that pile. But I think, again, like I said, the difference is that we've known about these for a long time and we've never not talked about them. I mean, and, and then here's the other thing, though, is that, you know, if we if we start digging back to Clinton 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Where does it stop? You know, we all think that, you know, JFK was this ultimate charmer, that he was uh, completely all in consensual. We go back and we look at FDR. You know, was, was everything that he did completely consensual? I mean, how far back do we have to go? <laughs> we don't go to dead guys. That's one thing. We don't go to no, dead no, guys. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Really? Oh, come on. Because we're going back to dead slave owners and taking down their yes. statues and asking for their names to be removed off universities. Right? I, I do think in some ways what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And, yes, if, if history comes back and tells us that actually a lot of these guys that we thought were great, and maybe they were great to 95% of people, but for to 5% of people they weren't great, that should be incorporated back into their legacy. Yeah, I mean, do we do we go back and find out that JFK, in fact, had sexually harassed several of his assistants? Do we go back and rename the International Airport and New York City because of it? 
do we go back and look at FDR in a completely different way? What I'm saying is, what I'm getting at is that, you know, look, Sherman Sher- was right. Bill Clinton was tried in the public opinion courts from back when he was Governor Clinton working his way up to the White House and through his entire term as president and even through his wife's political career, that has always been brought up. It's nothing new. Now, the Democrats, if they were smart, I would put him in a closet somewhere in Little Rock and tell him, don't move. Don't open your mouth. Don't say a thing. Don't go on any late night talk shows. Don't do a thing. Because all you're going to do is just draw attention to yourself, and that's bad. The bottom line here is I think that it is ill-served for us to start going back, not unlike us going back and trying to retry Hillary Clinton in all of this stuff, in, you know, whether it's Benghazi or Uranium One or whatever. I'm just saying, look, we are at a, such a divisive point right now that we've got to move on. We are willing yeah, to let someone – Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, I hear you. That's fine. Just remember this. Many women are rightfully demanding the scalp of the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, the Louis C.K.'s of the world, using standards of measure and standards of behavior that some of them explicitly and specifically refuse to do with Bill Clinton. There is some reassessment, some rethinking that has to go on. Go read the glorious Steinem op-ed from the time in the New York Times. It's easy to find because more and more people are discussing it. I can't believe she said Bill Clinton with Bill Clinton when people said no, he stopped. Not the case with Juanita Broderick. I, I can't believe I'm going she, to be defending Bill Clinton on that. She wrote an op-ed that has to be embarrassing to her, and many other women writers, thinking back on it, have to reassess what they did then and what they're doing now. That's all I'm Alan, saying. That's all no, I'm no, saying. No, Alan, no, 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 Alan, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, It's a very I'm important item we cannot leave off here. No, 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 there's an important item we cannot leave off here. And again, I'm not actually defending any of the actions here. However, the idea that we're also talking about public policy in play matters. So Alan's point about the deal with the devil, yeah, you know what, if that's the case, I get it. However, that deal with the devil, and I very deliberately said, the Violence Against Women Act, which Bill Clinton signed, that stuff matters. The very other things that go through matter. Are people perfect? Absolutely not. But if you're honestly telling me that somebody like Roy Moore with those allegations against him would also be a proponent for the Violence Against Women Act, we, I'm thinking that might be a challenging argument. We on this argument. Right. Wait, 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 wait. I want him out of there. I'd like to, guys, I'd like to jump uh. in and just kind of concur with what Dan's saying before I have to jump off the line a little early. But, you know, I... I do agree in some ways with what both Dan and Ellen are saying. I think that, yes, women did um, sort of ignore some 
less than savory facts about Bill Clinton in the 90s because of the argument Dan is putting forward that they thought that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton would be champions for women when they were in office. And in many ways, they were. They signed the Children's Health Insurance Program into law. They signed the Violence Against Women Act into law. And obviously paved the way for the first female presidential candidate in our nation's history. But I think that Alan also has a point in that we do need to come to terms with the behavior that we've been willing to accept in the past and what we're not willing to accept now, right? The world we, in 2017 is a very yep. different place than it was in 1992. Now, we sat here on harassment the, are taken a lot we, more seriously, and the definition of kind of sexual assault, sexual harassment, and inappropriate behavior has expanded dramatically. So I think that it's – sorry, Justin, not to, not to cut you off, but I think that we need to think of – we need to not just be looking backwards in, in when we think about this issue, but we need to be thinking about the two times and thinking about how we can use this paradigm shift to our advantage, both as Republicans and Democrats going forward. We sat here on this show during the 2016 election cycle, and we, and all of us, all of us, called out Donald Trump as, as reprehensible for having all of the Bill Clinton accusers up there displayed, lined up like rock cats. This, we sat there and said, you know what? That was wrong. It was inappropriate. All you're doing is not drawing attention to it. You're drawing attention to you. And I think the more and more we go down this path, it is no different, you know, for Bill, I'm talking about just for Bill Clinton. I'm talking about going deep into the past on somebody who is out of office, who has no chance of being on office, and probably will be nothing more than just a, an occasional bring out at Democratic rallies, quite frankly. There is an opportunity here for us to really sit down and look at not drag out the past, but look at the future and saying, how do we prevent this from happening versus retrying people like Bill Clinton in the court of public opinion? That's all I'm saying. And I don't think that and the all answer I'm is laws. Laws are how, how we work on making this not happen again. Passing rules like Speaker Paul Ryan is now insisting and mandating that everyone goes through training on Capitol Hill to ensure that the congressional staffers who have been victimized by their bosses do not go through that, or at least to try and deter it as much as possible. That's how you do it. And you have people who are proponents of public policy getting in office to actually do things. That's how you do it. And that needs to be part of the, part of the conversation, not just the salaciousness when they happen. Right. And I will say this. Uh, we've only got um, we've only got about uh, ten minutes left in the show. I want to just touch on something real quick. Uh, for those who don't know, the president's actually flying back from the Far East after a big uh, whirlwind tour of the Pan Asians and uh, the Far Eastern countries, including visits to China, Vietnam, and the Philippines. Uh, it was supposed to be a focus on trade. It was supposed to be a focus on the situation with North Korea, uh, all in all, grading what has happened, what has come out of it. First question, and I need them short and concise, guys. 
Donald Trump, did Donald Trump get what he wanted accomplished on trade or was this a failure on his trade mission? Alan Moore first. Failure. Dan Lipner. Failure. Did did we actually lose ground in the Far East as far as our trade deficit goes? Did did President Xi basically punk Donald Trump, Alan Moore? Uh, we didn't gain. I don't know that we that we lost in, in on the on the trade front because there's so many things going on out there. Um, what 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 I don't feel we got was uh, new information or new knowledge for the president who desperately needs to get some more uh, economics 101 and briefings on what trade is, what it isn't, uh, what trade agreements are, what what they are not, because he is moving us out of some of these international trade compacts, which are in interest. I don't think he even understands that. Dan Lipner. I think he's going to refer to it as the Orient and say that, you know, Siam is going to be our biggest trading partner. <laughs> Did it give anybody pause as to the fact that his, his tone and what he said about the United States, uh, particularly in the uh, Chinese American business roundtable luncheon, where he basically said, yeah, you know what, you guys, you guys beat us up. You guys win. Uh, you guys took advantage of us for your best interest, and we suck. Should should Trump be called on the carpet for that? And why isn't there more? Um, why isn't there more pressure on the president to kind of stop the, you know, going America first and we sucked up until now? Alan Moore. <laughs> There's all kinds of pressure. He's he's immune from it. His own people aren't, you know, pushing him uh, that that hard. Um, there, there are some cases where we have, where we have uh, arguably caved and given some things away, particularly to the Chinese, particularly when it comes to uh, technology transfer. Um, most of the trade deals that uh, that we've participated in, one can argue, I think, make a strong case that we that we are net winners. Uh, there are, there are winners and losers among industries in America. Every time we, we cut a deal, some people who were protected before are subject to more competition. They're not going to do as well. Others will, will find new markets opened up. I mean, that's how the world of international trade works. You don't win across the board with everything. He doesn't seem to understand that, doesn't seem to want to learn that, and he doesn't even seem to want to try to figure out where are those areas where we were disadvantaged and what might we do about them? He just paints with a very broad brush, which I think is reflective of his lack of knowledge on the subject. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's not that it's bad politics per se. Um, it's just that in the long run, it does not serve America's right. economic interests. Right. Dan Lipner. Yeah. I mean, Alan basically covered it. The, I mean, just leaving off the fact that, when Trump talks about bilateral trade, that shows a fundamental misunderstanding of the global economy. Just because you have a deficit here doesn't mean you don't have a surplus someplace else. Every vehicle you drive, if you, if you write with a, an old-school wooden lead pencil, that didn't come from a country. That came from about 15 countries with all the items that go into the making it, from the metal to the wood to, to the graphite to the rubber 
uh, that is it for the eraser. It, that takes a lot to do it. It's not just one place. And when you drive your car, it's the same thing. There are products from all around the world that that go into that. It's not just bilateral. So the president and the president, some of the president's people apparently have no understanding of that. So we, we have we, we, we have we have we have bilateral agreements. We have um, regional agreements with a few countries. We have big broad. Uh, agreements with in, in the context of stuff called the, the World Trading Organization, the WTO. It, the, the, there's room for all of those things. The, the, the thing that I don't think the president understands because he's so transactional in his thinking, it's like, do I sell this condo or not? Do I build that building or not? And it's a, sort of a zero-sum game. Yes, I do. No, I don't. And here's the price. Um, in, you, you, in, in the world of international trade, it's a constant process of give and take and understanding what the other guy needs, understanding what you need, being smart enough to know where to push, where to give up, where to pull back. It, it's very complicated. It involves lots of information and knowledge and inputs from, uh, from industrial sectors and so on. He doesn't understand that at all. It's just not in, in his background, and he's not inclined, as we know, to do homework and learn new stuff because he thinks he's already smarter than everybody else and knows it all. And on the world of trade, he is not smarter. He's dumber than most people, and this is not good for for America during this period. And the and the legacy of mistakes made now lingers over. Uh, over years and years, because you can't do this stuff, uh, you can't fix stuff quickly. We, um, as are, are we even his, even, his, even his transactional stuff? He he, he gives away. He, thus far, we've seen him give away bargaining positions internationally over nothing. The even though the Chinese currency manip- manipulation issue m- may have been stirred up as a, a non, may have been an actual non-issue. The fact that he was making it a campaign issue, and the Chinese actually did have concern about this, and then gave it away almost instantaneously for nothing. What has the president's transactions and deal-making ability? Where has it shown? Thus far, it's not. You 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 pay him a couple compliments and and you throw him a parade and you say we oh yeah we might help you with Korea. Okay, maybe. Where is he showing any bargaining power at all? Are are we in fact are we in fact getting played? Yes, we're getting played because he he because he's a know it all, and he thinks he knows more than he knows, and the people around him are sort of having to be careful and cautious, and they're of different minds. You know, Steve Bannon fed uh, a lot of this. Uh, they're all handing us our lunch. Um, and if somebody else spoke up, then there probably were people. So, well, actually, Mr. President, this and this and this is like, no, sit down. Okay, let's, Steve, tell me again um, how, the, uh, how the Chinese and the Mexicans and the Canadians and everybody else in the Japanese have all been gaming us. Um, and and uh, when you take a guy who thinks he's really smart, he actually, I think, truly believes that he's smarter than everybody else. So it's one thing to say it, but kind of know that you're not i don't know i used to think that he was there was some level of insecurity he was covering up i think he's actually delusional and and believes this stuff <coughs> so how do you how do you teach uh somebody like that it, it's uh it, it's a big challenge and he talks about 
oh, we signed $250 billion worth of deals while they're in China. Well, those are, those are, those are transactions with, 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 with companies, and the, those numbers are like 10, 15, 20-year kinds of numbers. <laughs> but they aren't the setting the ground rules that international trade agreements do. The, the saddest thing about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which everybody's blaming him for giving up on, and I will remind everybody that Hillary Clinton walked away from it, uh, too. It wasn't like on a fast track. But but it, those are the kinds of, of negotiations that need to continue, that need to go on. And um, you just step back, <coughs> and it doesn't seem inclined to, to try to, to, to push them forward. So there's other 11 countries, I think, have just said, fine, we're going to go on without, <coughs> without America, and they will will take pretty much the, the template they had, uh, could, had put together over the last several years, um, and America will be on the outside. Right. They won't have the same right. kind of access and the sure, same I kind think- of protections. If I, sure, yeah, if I can just, just jump in and add to that for one second, I think this is also getting, setting a scary precedent for us because if they – one of the big problems with a lot of these international multilateral treaties is that a lot of the countries have to bend over backwards to, uh, to comply with the U.S. regulatory regime. If these countries find that the negotiations and the entering into these treaties are much easier without the U.S., that sets a very, you know, not great precedent for us that – they're going to continue to do that, that all of a sudden the U.S. does not become a necessary trading partner anymore, and that does not have good consequences for us. Yeah, that's actually, frankly, that's not going to happen. We're such a big market. Everybody needs us. Everybody wants us. It's just that, that, that when you have a chance to work out an agreement with 40%, 40% of the world's commerce, you'd, you'd kind of like to do it. It's not, if, if we're not part of it, it's not as though trade with, between us and Vietnam is going to stop. We're still going to probably be their biggest trading partner. It's going to be more complicated. It's going to be right. more challenging. It's going to be more difficult. It's, it, and the stuff is not obvious and huge. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to replace the U.S. market with <laughs> the Philippines. But, but there's, there's going to be small pieces that come together that, that could come our way that will go other directions, and it, it didn't have to be that way. Right. Um, it, it, right. It's going to be that I, way. I think right. that more countries okay. will do what Mexico has done, which, you know, in the face of Trump, not even, you know, any sort of treaty negotiations, but in the face of Donald Trump's rhetoric, which is say, you know what, we're going to find new trading partners because we uh, suddenly exactly. don't know that you're a rival alliance anymore. All right, guys, got to cut it off here. We got about 45 seconds left on behalf of Alan Moore, Sharma Achari, Dan Lipner. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next Tuesday live on Blog Talk Radio with the best political talk show you've never heard. We are, you can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Backroom Politics Radio. Or you can email me, Justin at BackroomPolitics.org, your concerns, your family, and everything else. This has been a great show. Thanks again, America. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye bye.